Welcome to Chicago West Sunday Sermons, where we encourage with the gospel of Jesus Christ, equip within Christ-centered community, and engage with good works. This week, we will hear a sermon from Pastor John Kelly. Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, and I'm reading from the ESV. If you got cell phone Bibles or iPad or something that's cool here, you can pull that out as well. But Mark chapter 6, beginning in verse 30, it reads as thus. It says, The apostles returned to Jesus and told him all that they had done and taught. And he said to them, Come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. And they went away in the boat to a desolate place by themselves. Now many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran They ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. When he went ashore, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd. And he began to teach them many things. And when it grew late, his disciples said, came and said to him, This is a desolate place, and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. But he answered them, You give them something to eat. And they said to him, Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? And he said to them, How many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, Five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the people. And he he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. And they took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish. And those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. The title of this morning's message is Jesus the Good Shepherd. Would you just bow with me in a word of prayer? Jesus, you are our good shepherd. You are the one that leads us beside still waters. And as we prayed this morning at the beginning of service, Lord, I just ask that um, you, as all of our pastors, you are our eternal pastor, that you would pastor us right now and that you would allow us to see your shepherd's heart. I pray that you would meet each soul, each heart, each mind that's listening, whether in this room or online, in the way that they need to be met. And it looks different from each of us, but at the same time, Lord, you are our good shepherd. And so I ask your blessings on your word and that your word would not come back void. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. There's many things that we could say about Jesus, about who he is to us. We shout out that he's a healer. We say he's our peace. We say he's our king. We say a lot of different things. Well, we often forget that he's our shepherd, and by that we mean our pastor, and that we are sheep, and that he's the one who cares for us. And man, it's a privilege to get to serve as a pastor, but I'm in a temporary role. Jesus is our eternal shepherd. He's our great high priest. He's the lover of your soul, right? The one you love deeply. And what I want you to see in this text here, in this passage, it's a well-known story, a historical event that actually happened. But one thing that gets mixed, uh, missed often is Jesus' pastoral heart and how he shepherds. And so I want you to stand back and I want you to look at the passage we read. And I want you to see it with fresh eyes and seeing how Jesus comes alongside of his sheep and how he pastors them. There's some principles I think we could take away for our own selves, not just in our walk with him, but also just in how we can serve and care for one another. Because I assume that many of you, you spend your life around a lot of people, 
When you go to work, you're around people. Some of you got kids, grandkids, you got cousins, you got friends that you do life with. And so how do you even come alongside of people and care for them? It's not always easy, but there's some things that we can learn from Jesus in this passage. So three quick things I want to highlight that Jesus, that we learn about Jesus as a good shepherd of how he interacts with his sheep. And here's the first one. Jot this down. Jesus commands his sheep to rest. Notice that Jesus commands his sheep to rest. Quick backdrop. Um, If you remember, Pastor Kent had preached two weeks ago about Jesus sending out the 12 disciples. And he sent them out to preach, to heal the sick, to cast out demons, right? And so in between that point and then this week, we heard about John the Baptist come up. That was kind of a sidebar conversation last week. And we saw how he had passed away. And now we're getting back to where the disciples now, the 12, are coming back. And look with me again in verse 30. It says, the apostles returned to Jesus. So they came back from being sent out. Mind you, they're going by foot. They're all not going to the same place. So there's people trickling and told him, this is Jesus, all that they had done and taught. So they came back, and they're like, man, here's what happened, man. We cast out this demon. Man, this person got healed in this village. Man, we preached the gospel to these people. Hey, this person received it. Hey, they tried to stone us here. This conversation is going on. And look at Jesus' first response in verse 31. And he said to them, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. That's the first thing he said. He didn't say, amazing. First thing he says is, You have to rest. Y'all just came back, and that's the first thing that Jesus says. Now, let's do a Chicago West Pole, no condemnation, a Chicago West Pole. Um, But if you could say right now that you could really use some rest, raise your hand. Dang. All right, no, leave it up, leave it up. Can y'all look around so you can realize you're not alone? I say that to everybody all the time as a pastor. They'd be like, everyone thinks they're the only one going through what they're going through. You know, it's like, it's like Elijah, and I'm the only one left, you know? It's like, no, you ain't the only one that's tired. You're not the only one, right? Now, here's the thing. I'm not going to make you raise your hand. I said, how many of you feel like you need rest right now? You're like, yo, I can just unplug. If I can get away for a good week to reset, man, that would be a blessing to my soul. Everybody raised their hand. Now, if I asked you how many of you prioritize rest, like that's a priority, like you're, you're aggressive about it. Hands won't go up. The thing is, what Jesus is showing right here is that needing rest and prioritizing rest is not the same thing. You know, two themes that come up when you, they kind of go hand in hand in the lives of many people that you talk to in this room or just in general. Everybody's busy and everybody needs rest. It don't matter the ethnicity, their age, how much money they make. You talk to most people, it's a busy season. Doing this, doing this, helping this person, helping this, you know, baby shower over here, trying to come alongside this person. I got this project for work. Got to help these kids. Here's what Jesus is saying. If you will serve the Lord faithfully and serve others well, you must prioritize rest. It can't be like, oh, I need it. It's a priority. Think about how God prioritized the Sabbath, like made it a whole day. It was like an anchor in Scripture of like, you need to pause and rest. And that's much more today. So here's the problem. Why is it that they need rest? Look at verse 31. He said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place and rest for a while. Look at this. For many were coming and going, and they had no leisure even to eat. You know that you're in an unhealthy pattern when you're so busy that you're unable to eat. Some of y'all, you're like, that's my work day every day. You just skip lunch. You don't got a chance to eat. Now, think about what you're talking about here. Your body needs food and water 
to function. And in your mind, the task is more important than my body's basic need to function. That I'll skip a meal. You don't think about how that impacts your mood, how it impacts your health, how it impacts your mental health and your body. And so here it is that they came back. There's people going in and out, maybe some family members around. People know who they are. They're smothered because they're always pouring out. Jesus is like, yo, y'all need to get away from all of this, and y'all need to go. We need to go rest. I'm commanding you to rest. And one of the problems is people ain't even got the chance to sit down and eat because as soon as you sit down, you go, hey, uh, can you pray for me? Oh, okay, one second, right? You're like, you're trying to do something, and it's like, hey. The demands of other people and the grind of serving would completely deplete and overwhelm the apostles if they didn't stop and rest. Can I just give you a word this morning? You could do but so much. I know you think you could do everything, but you could do but so much before your body is like, I can't go there. Your body will nosedive and you will cut off years of your lifespan because you neglect rest so much. I remember a couple years back, I was in counseling, I was talking to my counselor, and I was just in a season, I was very burnt out and exhausted. And I remember the last day, he was like, why don't you put your schedule on the wall? It was two things that was very eye-opening, changed my life. We, not the wall, it was a whiteboard, and so he's like, put Sunday, put Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we went all the way through. And he's like, so what do you do this time? And I was like, this, and I was filling it out. By the time we got done, he said, do you see that you have no margin? And I was looking, he was like, man, you never heard of the 80-20 rule? <laughs> like giving yourself 20% margin because life will come? and take that margin away. But if you always fill your schedule up to a brim and then something sideswipes you, you'll collapse. Give yourself room to breathe, to rest. But then he said, but do you also notice that you have a lot of withdrawals and no deposits? I said, what's that? He said, John, I want you to think about your bank account. If you just came up and withdraw and withdraw and withdraw and withdraw, you'll get in the red. And at some point, you won't have nothing to give. You need deposits to offset all the withdrawals. And if you're in a situation where you're always pouring out, withdrawals aren't a bad thing. Give you an example. If you have young kids, that's a withdrawal. It means that they need you at a young age to cook for them, to get them to bed, to help them do their homework. It's not a bad thing. It's just you're going to pour out in that relationship. If you have a sick family member that you're trying to love, that's a pour out. That's a withdrawal. And a lot of times you'd be surprised how many of you have a lot of withdrawals, but how many deposits do you have? Where something or someone is filling you up, where you're filling and you're getting refreshed, and maybe you serve as a counselor, and so you're always counseling, you're always pouring out. Maybe you're a school teacher, and you're pouring out. Maybe you're a parent, maybe you're a police officer, a caregiver. Here's the point. These men are coming back from a lot of withdrawals, pouring out to the point they can't even sit down and eat without a withdrawal. And Jesus is like, y'all need some deposits right now. Pull away from everything. And Jesus goes with them. I'll just remind you this morning that Jesus is always a deposit. He's always there to fill you up. Jesus commands us to rest. And here's the thing, rest, when you hear the word rest, it's both physically and mentally. Your body physically will not experience rest if your mind is restless. So rest includes body and mind. So for me, when I go away or do anything, it takes me three days for my mind to catch up to my body. Because you, you're still thinking about an email, or you're supposed to do that, or what if this person gets back, or what if you're not answering? You're thinking, and it takes you like two, three days. You can't even enjoy sleeping in because your mind is so busy. You're too busy on this thing right here. 
Notice the location of the rest. Verse 31, he said, come away by yourselves to a desolate place. Some of your translations say a quiet place or a solitary place. A place where there's no noise, there's nothing. And notice that the desolate place, really, why are we always ended up back in the wilderness? <laughs> Has that not been a theme since we started in Mark? We just, like, it seems like God is always working in the desolate places. May that encourage somebody this morning. So maybe you're sitting here and you feel a little overwhelmed and you're like, man, I'm tracking with you. I feel like the Spirit's speaking to me. Can I give you five tips for building a Sabbath? Five tips for building Sabbath rest in your life. And I just pray that you will um, practice this. Uh, first, schedule it, pri- prioritize it. Put it on your schedule. Let me tell you something. You're like, well, you don't know my schedule is max. I'll tell you this about your schedule. Anything that's a priority gets on it. And anything that's a high priority, you move other things to get it on it. So if your doctor said, hey, we just had something come back on a scan. We need to see you next week. I don't care what you're doing. Everything got moved. Because you value your health more than whatever. Right? So you can't hit God with the I'm busy stuff. Because your priorities determine your life. And so when it's a doctor visit, you go. You made a commitment that every Sunday morning, I'm going to church. This is what I'm doing. Regardless of what church you go to, that's a commitment that you prioritize. School, even if you don't want to be there, you still go to class. You still take the exam. Work, even if you don't like your boss, you still go to work and you show up. First thing I would just say, first tips in building rest Sabbath is schedule it. Put it on your calendar. Next Saturday, this is what I'm doing. If you got to get a babysitter, if you got to figure it out, this is what I'm doing. I'm building the block of rhythm into my schedule because when I go so much, if I don't build it and bake it into my schedule, I'll never rest. One. Two, go to bed early. Can I just tell you straight, how do you think four or five hours of sleep every day is good for you? Have you maybe thought, you know, you go talk to any counselors in here, you know what I'm talking about. Sometimes people come in depressed, and one of the things you ask them is, how's your sleep? Right? There's a lot of things that can influence depression as well. And lack of sleep is one of them. You know how grumpy you are when you're not, uh, you didn't get enough rest? How irritated you wake up, how much you lack motivation to read the word or do whatever. You're tired. You become short with people. You become irritable. Go to bed early. Like you wear it with a badge of honor. Well, I get up every morning at 5. I'm an early work. I'm an early riser. I'm an ant. And you go to bed every night at 12, 1230. At some point, by the end of the week, your body is like, I'm done. Like you accumulated all these lost hours. Go to bed early, 9 o'clock, 10 o'clock, and say, you know what? Even if I wake up in the middle of the night, that ain't even included when you wake up in the middle of the night and grab your phone. Right, so you went to sleep at 12.30, got up at 2.30, was on the phone from 2.30 to 2.45, fell back asleep, your alarm went off at 5.30, now you got up and you're trying to make a cup of coffee while you're exhausted. Go to bed early. Three, regularly fast from social media, news media, and your phone. I often try to teach you one of the instruments, one of the struggles of the fall, we often say, well, Adam and Eve, one of the problems of the fall was that they wanted to be like God. And that's true. But if you ask me the biggest thing of the fall is the need to know. Adam was not content with not knowing about the tree of the knowledge of good and I don't need to know all that. Everything's perfect without me knowing that, but there's something in me that still needs to know. And what social media and media does is it, this generation has the highest level of anxiety because they have the highest level of information. 
And sometimes pulling your mind away and not knowing is actually okay to say, you know, for the next month or the next week or two, I'm just fasting from the news. I'm pulling away from social media because I, I just need to get the mental reset. That's good. Four, ask for help. Ask for help. Maybe you have some, someone in the church or friends, and you're just like, man, you know what? It's really hard for me to get away. Could, could someone watch my kids one Saturday? I remember early on when a kid, when Ben and Judah were younger, people would be like, hey, man, so give you and Danielle a break. Man, how about y'all go? We'll watch the kids, and y'all go out on a date night and so you guys can get some rest. And I was like, really? Like, if you just watch the kids and let us go to sleep? Like, like that's actually a bigger win. Like, if I could go upstairs and you just, I could just go knock out for like five hours, that's probably better than, you know, but, but asking for help. And so often, uh, Christians, we expect everybody to read our minds and know exactly how we feel. And we play the humble card of, no, I'm okay, I'm okay. Can you at least ring the bell and ask? Look at everybody just raised their hand and said they were tired, <laughs> right? So you're not the only one. Ask. Someone may sincerely not be paying attention. Fifth and last thing, set boundaries. And I would put, like, I would say set hard boundaries. Um, the reason why Jesus says things like, hey, if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. He doesn't say, why does he say cut it off? It's like, put it in the cast. It's like, so you can't go back to it. So whenever you want to change something, you have to make a hard cutoff. Because you'll always rationalize a way to slide back and justify it. And so you got to set a hard boundary. So I'll give you an example. Our staff here at Chicago West, Mondays is our Sabbath day. And so myself, Kent, Angie, Sam, Grace... If you email, nobody's going to see it. And, you, and I, don't even like, I don't even try to look at my text that day. Here's the reason why. So that our minds can unplug. Because all it takes is for you to see one email, one text message, and you're thinking again. And now you can't go to sleep. Right? And so to pull away, I don't know what that looks like. Maybe your schedule is a Sunday or a Saturday. Maybe it's a weekend. But you carve out a point where you was like, at this point, I'm not on my phone. At this point, I'm not looking at my emails. At this point, I'm not responding to text messages for my own mental health. Well, you ain't see, I mean, I was texting, I called you like four or five times, you ain't see it? No. No, I didn't. <laughs> At all. And so you have to set boundaries because if you don't, people will set your boundaries for you. And so you have to protect your mental health, you have to protect your rest, and Jesus is like trying to help them because they know they need rest, but clearly they're not prioritizing it. Now, real quick before we move on, um, here's the reality. What do you do and when you're watching, he's like, man, Pastor John, I'm, I'm tracking with you on all that, but the life season I'm in doesn't allow for any of that to work. What do you do when you're in a season where these things are hard to do? I could just tell you, I just came out of season. You know, I was walking with my brother, and for four, three, four months, my schedule was eight, from eight to eight, I'm at the hospital in chemo treatments. And it was a real struggle for me. And here's what I will tell you. You have to give yourself the grace to be limited and to not be available like you would want to be. It's either you're going to, if you're like some of you, whatever the life circumstances, maybe you got something going on with your kids. Maybe you're going through a very difficult situation in your marriage. Maybe you're trying to care for someone who's dying from cancer. I had to walk through those things. The thing that was hard for me is I had to finally give myself grace to say, John, you're just not going to be able to show up and be available like you want to be. And I want to thank my men's group. Thank you, Mike Rupert, Bob Langdon, Darnell. Thank you for allowing me to butcher the last three, four months of leading group and giving me the grace to fail. You have to give each other grace 
to not show up. It's like, look what she's going through. How do you expect her to be available every five seconds? And so what I would say to you, if you're like, John, I'm in a season where these kids, it's just hard. Like, I'm by myself. I, or, man, my, I'm trying to care for them and care for my spouse. I'm going through this and that. It's okay in that moment that you're not going to be able to be available like you would like to be. And you have to give yourself grace for that, and we have to give each other grace for that as well. Amen? Amen. Jesus is our faithful pastor and our good shepherd, and he commands his sheep to rest. Next, Jesus views his sheep with eyes of compassion. Where do we get that from? Look in verse, well, let's back up. Let's look at verse 32. And so they went away in the boat to a desolate place. They left. They bounced. They're out. Verse 33. Now, many saw them going and recognized them, and they ran there on foot from all the towns and got there ahead of them. Oh, my gosh. Picture this. They're going away to rest. And they're like, we're going to get to the other side. And because they're traveling across the lake rowing, somehow, some way, people find out. They're trending on Twitter and TikTok and everything. And then people run to the other side. And when they get to the place of rest, they show up and people are there. Now, just keep it real, y'all. How would you feel when you're trying to get some sleep and then you see thousands of people? Your email, you just got like 100 e- emails in that drop by. You, whoa, your inbox, you're like, man, I just worked through all that. What we learn from here from Jesus, uh, well, let me keep reading. Actually, let me read a little bit more. Um, so then verse 33, here look. Now many saw them going. Verse 34, here it is. When he went ashore, this is Jesus, he saw a great crowd, and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and he began to teach them. The disciples still get to rest, but Jesus now steps in, and the crowd is coming. How would you view the crowd if, you, if we just said we're going to the other side to go rest? You'd probably be irritated. Come on, man. Who, who told them where we was going? Right? What we learn from Jesus here, though, is that how we view people will determine how we approach people and how we treat them. We can either see the crowds as a burden to flee from, or people in need of compassion. Not only that, how we view them will be determined by how healthy we are personally. Remember, Jesus is fully rested. He never left. The disciples left and came back to tell him stories. He's been chilling. He's fine. And Jesus' view of these people are not stained by sin because he's sinless. You know, you're a different person when you're rested, refreshed, and healthy. And you're a completely different person when you are exhausted, in need of refreshment, and unhealthy. Jesus, his view isn't stained by sin. It's not stained by the weakness of the flesh. He can see people clearly. The disciples, if they're looking at, their filter is stained by exhaustion, fatigue, the sins of their flesh and their own weakness, And so how they would even view the crowd may not be accurate is based on how they are doing right now. That's why when you are exhausted, you become more irritable with folks. But when your tank is filled up, you can get long-winded. Here we get a glimpse of Jesus' heart, his pastoral tenderness. It says, and when he saw the great crowd, he had compassion on them. 
because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Can I ask you an honest question, my sister, my brother, you directly this morning? What do you think comes to Jesus' mind when he looks at you? I'm talking about you. Not the person next to you, not the person you're mad at, not the person you like, not the person you want to come to faith in Christ. You personally, if Jesus stared you in the eyes, how do you feel? What do you think comes to his mind? And what we find here is compassion and love. I noticed how everybody really leaned in and was singing that part, he loves us. Oh, how he loves us. I believe we weren't just singing that truth to him, but we were preaching that sermon to ourselves this morning, were you not? Now, here's the process. Look how this process works out. We see here how Jesus felt in the moment, why he felt the way he felt, and what he did about it. What did Jesus feel in the moment in verse 34? When he saw the crowds, how did he feel? He felt compassion. Why did he feel compassion? Because he said they were like sheep without a shepherd. And how did he respond to that? By teaching them many things. Now, if you're sitting here and you're like, well, surely Jesus wouldn't look at me like that. Well, we find that there's 5,000 men that came up, and that wasn't even including women and children. Surely in those thousands of people, there were some battling addictions. There were probably many going through a divorce. There were probably a lot dealing with physical health issues or mental health challenges. There probably was a lot who were struggling financially. There had to be in that crowd of thousands of people someone who was dealing with the death of a loved one. Definitely there had to be someone who was a convicted felon or who was a criminal or maybe a corrupt lawmaker or politician. And for sure there are many there who had experienced trauma. And yet Jesus sees their current state, not the issue that got them there. I just see someone who's broken in need. You could pick the list of why they're all broken and in need, but I just see people broken in need. And his response to seeing them is they're like sheep without a shepherd. Have you ever thought about what does that mean, that they were, he had compassion on them, that they were like sheep without a shepherd? And, you know, we don't have shepherds walking up and down, you know, Lake Street or 290. Um, so it's kind of hard for us to understand because we don't come from that type of culture. But shepherds, uh, sheep required shepherds to lead them. It was helpful. It's a reason why God often relates us to sheep. Sheep are very gullible, very naive. I mean, they'll walk right up to the wolf and not fight. Sheep without a shepherd means that they're vulnerable. There's no one to protect them. It means that they have no direction. They're lost. They're wandering because the shepherd guides them. Remember what Jesus says? I know my sheep. My sheep know me. My sheep know my voice. A stranger's voice they don't know. So the idea that once the shepherd starts talking, the sheep follow. Well, if there's no shepherd to lead them, they're just wandering. And maybe that's how you feel this morning. You're just wandering through life. And third, it means that there's no one there to care for them. For us, at least for you and I, I want you to just consider as we look at what Jesus is, how he's responding, so much of our interactions with others is dependent upon the lens that we view them through. Like, regardless of what you say, how you interact with people in this room or outside this room, you have a filter. That's it's just a filter and when the lens that you look through. You have a general filter, and then you have specific filters that you have with different people. And what's your filter this morning? For some people, the filter is hurt. So you've been deeply hurt and wounded, and so you view everyone through guard and protection. You don't want to get hurt, and you question everything. That's your filter. Everyone has an ulterior motive to you. Everyone's trying to hurt you or do something. 
For others, maybe your filter is there's a lack and a need of affirmation and a void. And so you don't realize it, but your, your filter is the to, to need the affirmation, and so you, you think through, well, how, what is this person doing for me? For some of you, your filter is people's sins. That's what you see first. You see their sin. Jesus saw their state, not what got them there. And so maybe an issue comes up or a person comes up, and you can't get past this person's sin issue. So you don't know how to love them well. You don't know how to come alongside of them well because that's, that's your filter. Maybe your filter is personal gain. That's your filter. It's personal gain. So every relationship, your filter is, if this person doesn't add any value to me, I can't be around them. Well, you done eliminated like 90% of the lost world that doesn't know Christ, right? But maybe that's your filter, and you don't even realize it. It just, it just happens unconsciously. Maybe you should pray. I've been praying this week, Lord, help me to see what my filter is. Let me, Lord, show me, show me my blind spots. What is my filter and the lens in which I view people? And God, may my heart be this way. May I look out at the masses in this world with compassion. Satan, let me just tell you, Satan wants to distort your perception of people. He also wants to distort people's perception of you. Maybe some of you sit here and you're like, man, that ain't accurate, right? He wants to distort people's perception of Jesus and his followers because Satan is a master at distortion and deception and division. And so he wants this Christian and this Christian and these Christians over here and these Christians over here seeing each other through a certain lens with no redemptive qualities. Paul had to say, be careful that you not just bite and devour one another all day long. And so look at verse 34. It says, when he went ashore, he saw a great crowd and he had, what y'all? Compassion on them. Because they were like sheep without a shepherd, and I love this, and he began to teach them many things. Jesus begins pastoring them and teaching them. He's providing them with spiritual food. And I just remind you again this morning that Jesus is your pastor. You all have a pastor. His name is Jesus. This gives me the greatest comfort. Like, man, I could just run to him. and He always gets it. He understands. He knows your heart. He knows when you're lying to yourself. He's willing to give his life for you. But Jesus is your pastor. And I want to remind you because if Jesus isn't shepherding you, someone or something else will. And maybe you need to ask him that today, Lord, what has been shepherding my heart instead of you? Jesus is the good shepherd. Jesus commands his sheep to rest, and he views his sheep with eyes of compassion. But here's the last thing. Jot this down. Jesus provides for his sheep when they are in need. So he's teaching them at the end of verse 34. Look at verse 35. And when it grew late. So just to give you a context, in this culture, once the sun was setting, the day went from sunset to sunset. Our day, we start from like midnight to midnight. But for them, the day started, the Sabbath or the next day started in the evening. So when the sun was setting, you don't have like, let me turn on the lights. There's no street lights. It's dark. People shut things down. All right. So I want you to, to picture this. So the disciples say now in verse 35, it said, when it grew late, it's getting dark. Jesus has been teaching. His disciples came to him and said, this is a desolate place and the hour is now late. Send them away to go into the surrounding countryside and villages and buy themselves something to eat. So I just want you to put yourself in disciples' shoes. They have a high level of compassion, do they not? 
They're actually sensitive to the people's needs. They're not like, well, I need to get out of here. It's getting late. They came to Jesus was like, hey, Jesus, you've been preaching and teaching for a while. Thank you for serving and teaching while we're sitting back. Um, man, it's getting late. They've been out here all day. Some of them told me they didn't have any water. They, got, they, come, you know, they came from miles back. Can you send them into the villages so they can have something to eat? Because they'll just sit out here all night. Is that not a commendable thing to be concerned about? It is. So that's their plan. And so their plan is, verse 36, send them away into the surrounding countryside and villages. You know, we always want to tell God what to do or how he should do it. Rather than asking him what to do, instead of coming up and saying, hey, Jesus, you know, they haven't eaten yet. Hey, what do you think we should do? They're like, can you shut down the teaching, cut the sermon short, land the plane, land the plane, Jesus. Let's get them over there to get something to eat. What this shows us here, and what they said is actually pretty good, but it shows that our best plans may not be God's will. I could see Jesus saying, that's a great idea. That's not my will, though. But that's a great idea. It would make sense to just wrap this up and let them go back. Look at Jesus' response in verse 37. But he answered to them, you give them something to eat. <laughs> and they said to him, shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread and give it to them to eat? <laughs> That's just Jesus' response. Why don't you give them something to eat? How many of you know that Jesus will often ask you to do things that you have no capacity to perform in and of yourself, nor do you have the resources that's needed to do it? You want me to give them something to eat? And notice here, it talks about the denarii. And so the disciples now, Jesus has put pressure on them. You brought an issue to me that they need to eat. It wasn't my idea. Now you, you take care of it. Can you imagine the weight that just crushed them when they're trying to rest and they thought they were doing a good deed and now they're like, oh man, we got to come up with this, this issue. So now the disciples must choose to exercise faith or give in to fear. Because clearly they ain't got it. How do we know? They start talking about the money they have. And just a note, have you ever noticed how you and I easily gravitate towards situations that require no faith? Like we just naturally gravitate towards something that ain't going to stretch us. Ain't no faith involved over there? I can see it up front. Done. But when you got to step out on faith for a season, (laughs) you don't see where the finances is coming from or the breakthrough is coming from, but you know God has been burdening you with that. So the disciples now are in a situation where this topic of these people need to eat came up, and Jesus is like, you feed them. Look what they said. Shall we go and buy 200 denarii worth of bread? Just so you know, a denarius was one full day's worth of wages. So think of like minimum wage, one full work day of minimum wage, whatever that would be. They said 200 denarii worth of bread. So whatever it would take to work for minimum wage for 200 days, That's how much it would cost to feed all these people. And they ain't got it. But Jesus provides. Verse 38, and he said to them, how many loaves do you have? Go and see. And when they had found out, they said, five and two fish. Then he commanded them all to sit down in groups on the green grass. So they sat down in groups by hundreds and by fifties, and taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to the heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to all the disciples to set before the people, and he divided the two fish among them all. And they all ate and were satisfied. That should encourage somebody's soul this morning. And then he took up 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. Jesus does a whole lot with a little, doesn't he? The scripture says that they ate and they were satisfied. 
meaning my need has been met. Sisters and brothers, what you are watching right now, what you just watched in that passage is the good shepherd literally feeding his sheep. You're looking at Pastor Jesus literally feeding his sheep. And I'll just tell you, I have learned over the years that Jesus can do a lot with five loaves and two fish. When you ain't got it or you don't got a lot to give. And I'm learning to stop counting what I have and start worshiping who I have. All right? Because let me tell you something. Jesus is the resource. Jesus is the provision. So what you need to do this morning is stop counting your hand, like looking at your hands at what you have. Stop counting what you have and start worshiping who you have. Because if you have him, then you're good. This is what Jesus was trying to teach the disciples. If I'm here, we straight. Like, I'm cool. Now, you could stress yourself out because you're trying to do, you know, backflips and think through how he's going to work it out. And have you not learned yet that every time he came through, you couldn't figure out how it was going to happen, but it happened? So alleviate yourself of the stress of trying to think through how it's all going to work out and just say, is he in the boat with me? Yeah, I'm good. Well, the waters are going to be shaky. Things are going to be rocky. But if Jesus is with us, then he'll provide. And I want you in this text to see my pastor. The greatness of Jesus. Notice the location when they came up. When the disciples came, verse uh, 37. No, verse 35. And when it grew late, his disciples came to him and said, this is what? A desolate place. We're in a wilderness. Ain't nothing to eat out here. We got to send them back to the villages. I want you to see the greatness of Jesus. Jesus had just given his people food and rest in the wilderness, and this ain't his first time doing it. In John chapter 8, verse 56 through 59, Jesus is having a talk explaining to the Pharisees and the religious leaders why he's the great I am and how he knew Abraham and Abraham saw him and they, they was ready to stone him because of that. He said, they said to him, your father, he said, your father Abraham rejoiced that he would see my day. He saw it and was glad. So the Jews said to him, you're not yet 50 years old. How you seen Abraham? And Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was what? You don't say that in that culture. Who did Yahweh present himself to Moses at the burning bush? Who should you say sent me? I am that I am. You, you don't, that's, that's, the, that's the holy name of that's God. That's the essence of who he is. So they picked up stones to throw at him, but Jesus hid himself and went out of the temple. That's a powerful thing for Jesus to say and why they want to stone him because he says, oh, yeah, you know Yahweh, the eternal God that brought you out of the land of Egypt? I am. Now, let me ask you a question. When God was leading the Israelites through the where? Wilderness. He provided them with food and rest. He sent them quail. He sent them manna from heaven. And he struck a rock and water came out of it. Beloved, Jesus was rest and bread for the Israelites back in the wilderness. They just couldn't see it back then. Paul says in 1 Corinthians about that time, 1 Corinthians 10, 1 to 4, For I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that our fathers were all under the cloud and all passed through the sea, that's the Red Sea, and all were baptized into Moses in the cloud and in the sea, and all ate the same spiritual food and all drank the same spiritual rock, for they drank from the spiritual rock that followed them, and the rock was Christ. 
What you see of Jesus providing out of five loaves and two fish in this story is not just, oh, that's a cool story of Jesus providing. It's also a declaration that this is the eternal God who always provides rest and food for his people in the wilderness. This is bigger than just a story of Jesus taking five loaves and two fish. What we have here simply isn't just the feeding of 5,000, but Jesus providing food and rest. And taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven and said a blessing and broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples and set it before the people. And he divided the two fish among them all, and they all ate and were satisfied. They took up the 12 baskets full of broken pieces and of the fish, and those who ate the loaves were 5,000 men. If I could just encourage you as we close and our worship team comes back up, um, we're going to prepare to just kind of leave from this message and have a time of communion with the Lord. And so what I want you to just be encouraged by as we close out this message is clearly, if you are here this morning, you're like, man, I just don't got a lot. You know, when we talked about maybe you're in a certain season of life and there has to be grace for you to know, man, I, I, don't, I don't have it right now. Well, God can do a lot with the little that you bring to the table. It's not just always financial. Maybe you don't have the emotional bandwidth. You don't have the mental bandwidth. You don't have the physical bandwidth because you are exhausted. And you're just like, Lord, I, I don't even want to serve. I don't want to do this. I don't have nothing to bring. I'm not available as I could be or should be. Can you be encouraged that Jesus is like, all right, well, just give me what you got? Five loaves, two fish. Well, if you, ha- if you haven't had um, the communion cup, uh, if you don't have a cup, if you could just raise your hand, we want to get one to you. We talked about Jesus being our good shepherd, and as the communion cups come around, keep your hands up. If you're coming out, we want to get one to you. If you're at home um, and you're not able to partake, I still want you to just have this time of processing your heart with the Lord. We see three things in this passage, is that Jesus commands his sheep to rest. I want you to just pray, say, Lord, I've been restless. I don't know how to stop. Yes, my schedule is crazy, but could it be that my lack of rest shows that I'm really trying to be God? Like, I'm just, I'm, 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 I, have to, I have to control everything. And God, I don't know even how to shut my mind off. Would you just communicate that to him? God, even if you gave me three days of rest right now, I would struggle the first two days to put my phone down. I, I literally don't know how to chill. Bring that to him. Maybe that's the confession. Jesus, I worship my phone. The second thing, remember, he looks at us with eyes of compassion. If, you're, if you don't feel that, would you confess that to him, Jesus? I'm, I really struggle. I really struggle to believe, Lord, that you, you see me this way. Or maybe there's someone and all you see is your filter is off, and he showed that to you. Yeah, your filter is just all you see is their sin, or, man, all you see is yourself, or... Yes, this is accurate, this is accurate, but there's a blind spot you have there. Would you just bring that to him? Cleanse me, O Lord. And then lastly, we see that Jesus provides for our need. And whatever you are broken about right now, and maybe you're like, man, Lord, I prayed about this for the 30th time. I'm tired of bringing this before you. Will you bring it to him afresh? Whatever you need to repent of, whatever you need to confess, I just want to give you a minute or two to have that time with the Lord, and then we will take the bread and the cup together.
I want you to open up the bread and the cup. I want you to hold the bread in one hand. I want you to hold the cup in another. We just read about how Jesus satisfies people in the midst of the wilderness. Scripture says that he is the bread of life. I know this is a little wafer, but what it represents is his body broken for you and Jesus being the one to satisfy you. So as you prepare to take this, would you just, would you take, let's take it now remembering that Jesus is the one who's broken for us and satisfy us. Let's eat together. And the cup which symbolizes the blood that's shed for us. Let us now drink together. Amen, amen. Let me just pray for us as we close out in worship. Jesus, I thank you that you are faithful even when we remain faithless because you cannot deny yourself I thank you that you leave the 99 to pursue the one. I thank you that there's not one hair of our head that is not uh, counted by you. You see all things. And so we thank you for this time of reminding us to rest, reminding us of your compassion, how you shepherd your people. And God, I pray we would leave here today knowing that the same way you shepherd the sheep in this text, you shepherd us as well. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to Chicago West Sunday Service. Join us next week.